0: Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I'm Jeremiah O'Shan, and I am joined today by ESPN FC's Jeffrey Carlisle, who has been covering the Iron Front flag controversy, kind of from a national perspective. And I really wanted to to get his perspective on this. Uh, but anyway, welcome to the show, Jeff. Uh, I uh, I hope you have been able to 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 like settle down from what ended up being kind of a a whirlwind of news from from this whole thing and I don't know if you've probably moved on to another story by now but uh welcome to the show
1: yeah thanks very much Jeremiah I appreciate it uh yeah I mean it does seem to be kind of over at least for the moment um but certainly it'll be interesting to see how the league works with uh the supporters groups involved going forward I mean it's you know I, I think when I was like wrapping up my coverage of it, I was careful to say that the supporters groups got most of what they wanted. I think it still remains to be seen if they're going to get everything. But, um, right. certainly I think it's great that the two sides are talking and, and I think exchanging their, their views on, on, on how this all went down and, um, you know, and I think, as I said, in one of the pieces, you know, the two sides talking is better than them not talking. And so, right, I, you know, I think everyone's hopeful that, you know, a mutually agreeable solution will be able to be found going forward.
0: So I would imagine that most of the people listening to this podcast are vaguely familiar with the story that we're talking about, but I may as well give a little bit of a recap, and certainly step in if you feel like I have, uh, have misstated any of this from your perspective, but essentially, this, uh, from, from what I can tell, this all started really, um, at least from a, a public-facing perspective, at the beginning of the year when the league put out this fan code of conduct in which they, uh, they essentially codified a lot of things that I don't know had ever been written down but were sort of vaguely enforced around the league prior to this. But one of the, b- the big elements was that they, they banned political signage And that word political ended up being a pretty important point. And Timber's Army, way back in March, actually pointed this out and did a whole post about how they were concerned about this. And in relation to, because at the time they were told that this Iron Front flag that they had been flying was no longer going to be allowed. And then from my perspective, it kind of went away until this game in Seattle uh, back in August, where both the Sounders and and Timbers fans had these iron front flags. And then that kind of started this whole new discussion about it. Uh, It came to a head, I would say, when the, when those two teams met again and they staged the now famous 33 minute uh, silent protest. And then that seemed to ramp things up. Uh, More recently, the Sounders actually walked out of, or ECS uh, largely walked out of the section at halftime after one of their Capos was ejected for, for flying the iron front flag. And then finally we got to this meeting in Las Vegas where the two sides essentially came together and had some discussions and then ultimately decided to uh, revisit the, the wording in this fan code of conduct. And at least importantly for now, the league suspended their ban on the iron front flag. Cause that all seemed vaguely to, to, washed with how you understand the story, Jeff?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so much of this kind of happened under the radar, I think, like you said. And, um, you know, the I think the the league kind of, I mean, I called it a, a, solution, a solution in search of a problem. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people <laughs> really knew what the iron front flag was or certainly what it meant to the, the supporters groups involved. And, um, you know, I think, you know, certainly I think, the, the the fan bases in Seattle and Portland um, are, are oftentimes at the forefront of kind of pushing the envelope in terms of supporter culture, and, and certainly that's not to to downplay or or denigrate any of the other fan bases. I mean, you know, obviously you know, Toronto's got a rabid fan base, and you know, DC United. I mean, I, I I could I could go on and on, but um, you know, certainly I think this all got national attention, you know, during that game in Portland when you know, the two sets of fan bases who are usually, you know, at each other's throats, you know, uh you know uh not literally of course, but um you know, usually uh there's a lot of good banter going back and forth, but you know, but they did kind of join forces on this occasion to mm-hmm. to try to get their point across. And um I do think the league for the longest time thought this was just really a, a Pacific Northwest thing. Um but I think you know, as it got more traction and more attention, um, you saw, you know, the Iron Front starting to pop up in other stadiums. I mean, I remember seeing it pop up at Bank of California Stadium, you know, where LAFC plays, and, you know, there was a pretty vociferous uh, display in Minnesota, um, you know, at a, at a Minnesota United game where some fans were ejected, and there was a little bit of back and forth there, too, about, I think the club said only one person was ejected, and the supporters groups involved said no 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 that that's it was quite a bit more than that and so i think ultimately the league kind of found this getting away from them a little bit and um you know having to uh defend a position where you know the the supporters group said hey this is a you know this iron front symbol is one of inclusion um it's it's anti-fascist anti-racist everybody's welcome and I, I think that the league kind of found itself, you know, put itself in a difficult position by saying, you know, that's not allowed, which kind of flies in the, place, in the face of a lot of outreach that they've done in the past. So, uh, you know, I think, and I think in in, in the middle of all this, I think um, the Timbers organization and, and to a lesser extent Seattle, um, you know, they, they kind of thought themselves caught, caught in the crossfire a little bit. So, uh, you know, ultimately I think, I think the league did the right thing. Um, you know, we'll see, you know, how, how it, you know what kinds of things take place in the stadiums you know during the rest of the year but um from what I can see it, it was a victory for the, the Timbers Army and then the Emerald City supporters and Guerrilla FC who have really kind of been at the forefront of all this but you know there was there was support on social media as well and from some other fan groups and also the Independent Supporters Council which is kind of an umbrella group that uh yeah. represents you know supporters groups throughout the league so uh I think in the end they, they got you know the vast majority of what they wanted and you know, we'll see uh, what transpires going forward.
0: You know, it was interesting when Timber's Army kind of first listed, for for lack of a better term, like their list of demands on what they were looking for. I was actually, it struck me as, like, as much as I was on their side, I felt like it was maybe shooting for the moon to get, like, all these things ticked off. And But in the end, like, the three things they wanted were the ban on the flag to be removed, the word political to be removed, and for the league to bring in, what they said was an international group of experts to kind of help them walk through revi- revising the, the uh, ban code of conduct. And while they didn't get like literally exactly all three of those things, essentially all three of those boxes seem likely to be ticked when this is at least for the time being. And who knows where it ends up going into next year. But I'm I'm just curious. So when you... Like was was the game in Portland the first that you knew about this, or did you get the sense that this was like even from as someone who isn't like embedded in the local media here, did you know of this going on? And at, like at what point did the light bulb go on to you that said, "Oh, this might actually be a really big story"?
1: You know, I think it was kind of in the run up to that game because certainly, I mean, I, believe me, I, I can't take all the credit for, for covering this. I mean, yeah, journalists like Caitlin Murray. Um, covering it, you know, the Washington Post did a piece on it, Um, uh, but, you know, for me, it it was kind of in the run-up to that game, and, uh, you know, just in talking to to some of my editors about it, you know, we thought it would be an interesting story to cover, I mean, it's it's not often that, you know, you see fan groups engaged with a league like this, and, and, and making demands, and and, and making and saying, you know, <laughs> we're going to try to take away our, the value that we bring to your business and whether that's not buying concessions or not going to the games at all or or staying silent for 33 minutes. So, um, you know, it just it just struck me and I think it struck my editors at ESPN as, as a an interesting story to follow and, and really an interesting dynamic that was taking place because, I mean, you know, part of what was going on as well is MLS has attempted to carve out. A very unique space, I think, in terms yeah. of the North American sports landscape, where they've they've really gone out and tried to appeal to a younger, kind of more urban, you know, edgier demographic, and and then it was like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> you know, it's almost like they didn't think of all the things that kind of come with that. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, there's there's a level a level of political activism that I think takes place within these fan groups and um so all of that i think made for an interesting story and and, and definitely a, a worthwhile story um you know you you bring in the, the political climate that, such as it is in this country right now so um so yeah the, yeah all of those things kind of came together to make it an interesting story and and i'll say quite clearly it's not a long trip for me i mean i live in the san francisco bay area so um you know it was it was a, an easy flight up and uh, you know, I was able to initially spend a couple of days in Portland. I was at that game where the silent protest took place. And, uh, you know, once the article did come out, and it, it took a while. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of back and forth in terms of the editing. Um, but then, you know, when the when the three fans got suspended, that kind of cranked everything up again. It kind of because I, I do think the story was, was starting to fade a little bit. And then when the Timbers announced that these three fans, you know, had gotten had their privileges, Right. because of attending games taken away that kind of cranked everything up again and and that was you know it was kind of a bit of fortuitous timing you know for for the piece that i wrote the first one and um then it, everything kind of got put front and center again and it, it just kind of took off from there
0: yeah you know and that is one of the things that i that has struck me about this and i and i feel like you even may have literally written the words that you you spoke earlier about how the, the league oh, this was almost a situation where the it was a solution in search of a problem and and how the the league it seemed like it would have been the easiest thing in the world for the league to essentially look the other way or to allow the teams to kind of look the other way and just not to make a big deal out of this and instead it seemed like there was this line drawn in the sand that all of a sudden brought all this negative attention onto the league and onto the teams and and i think that you know it remains to be seen how much like in Seattle i'm i'm getting the sense that it's it's maybe blowing over and that you know the 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 supporters and the front office feel like they are having positive conversations and are on the same page but from a distance i i wonder if if some of the other relationships aren't going to be quite as easily repaired in part because there was some kind of heavy-handed uh punishments handed down in this and even though we're hearing now that a lot of these punishments are being rescinded any fines that were issued were supposedly rescinded um but it's kind of one of those things like you can't unring the bell and and i i i wonder if from your perspective if everyone seemed to be caught flat-footed by this or it just was a, a matter of misplaying their hand
1: um well, I, I think those two things kind of go hand in hand almost. Um, sure. You know, I do think. I, I think the league just just in talking to to various people, I, I think. I think there was just a, a a way of thinking that if if we say that this is the way it is, that you know these fans are just going to acquiesce and and just just accept it. And I think I think they badly misjudged. First of all. Kind of what's happening in the Pacific Northwest, where you've got you know Antifa and and, and right wing groups uh, demonstrating and counter demonstrating, and, and some of those demonstrations have turned violent. And so I, I think they they vastly underestimated the nerve that this struck in a place like Portland, in a place like Seattle. And um, and then so I, I think they I think they misjudged it, and then and then they were really surprised by by the reaction. And, and I think, I think there was a gradual kind of understanding of what this really meant. And, and I, I give the league some credit. I mean, they, they could have, you know, really tried to put their foot down and, and sure. just said, Hey, you know, too bad. This is the way it is. But, you know, I mean, Mark Abbott is, a, you know, aside from Don Garber, he's as high level of commissioner as it comes in MLS. And, and he was the one who, you know, he was one of the executives who came out to Las Vegas to to meet with the the fan groups and and um, and was on the conference call and and so so yeah, I, I think you know flat footed, didn't see it coming, kind of just misjudged the situation. I, I think all of those things happen.
0: You know, and I don't remember if it was a statement that he made to you, or if it was a statement he made to somebody else, but at some point I saw Mark Abbott quoted when someone asked him point blank, "Do you see a way forward?" Where MLS allows the iron front flag. And I feel like he actually said no. And yeah, that
1: was to me. Yeah, I, you know, I, um, I talked to him right before that, that game, uh, you know, between Seattle and Portland, and, you know, and that's why I was not really optimistic that this was going to come, that there was going to be a, a, a way forward found. I mean, he just said, no, we're not, we're not going to change. And then he kind of returned to his talking points about, you know, why the flag was banned. Um, right and so yeah i was he he was he was pretty blunt about it but i i I will say that that was you know when you kind of look at the arc of of how this all went down i mean that was still relatively early in the process i mean i can remember you know some executives telling me before that seattle portland game ah the rest of the fans aren't going to go along with this (laughs) and I mean, I was, I was there, I was in the press box and it's, as you know, having been to to Portland a bunch of times, it's an open air press box. I mean, you can can hear everything. And it was like a cocktail party. I mean, it was, it was, you know, I was impressed. I mean, you know, there was the occasional, Hey, let's go Timbers chant that would try to go up and it would, it would just fade out pretty quickly. And, and so I, I think that surprised the league as well, that, that the fan groups stuck to their guns, that the, the, the rest of the fans in the crowd regardless of whether they agreed with what they were doing or not i mean they they kind of went along and it didn't really do you know much of anything to try to ratchet up the atmosphere and then when that 33rd minute hit and i mean it was i mean it was like you know the the cork on a champagne bottle i mean it just the, the volume went up to 11 and and um it was really impressive the contrast between what was happening during the first 33 minutes and, and what happened afterwards so uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I think all of those things, I mean, it, it was a gradual process whereby I think the league kind of came around and realized they're ticking off some of their most ardent supporters, some of their most devoted customers. And uh, I think it began to, uh, to occur to them, you know, th- there was going to be a cost associated with this and uh, it, it wasn't a good idea to, to continue with this policy going forward.
0: Did you ever in your reporting get a sense of how this all started, like where the impetus for the rule came about in the first place? And, you know, because I had heard kind of, th- you know, repeatedly from people that is like, oh, what well, was this, you know, year long collaborative process between the teams and, and whoever else. But, and, and like they, and there seemed to be this assumption on the league offices part that the teams were somehow maybe working with supporters but never needed to expressly involve the supporters. But did you ever get a sense of like what the impetus to all of this was, or if it was just kind of like we need to get this on the books?
1: You know, I, I think part of the impetus, and it was interesting. You know, I think when Portland, you know, issued a statement, and you know before the, pro- the you know the thirty three minute protest, um, they issued a statement where they and, and they kind of I think opened a little bit of a window on the league's thinking. They said. They, they talked about how people could still wear the iron front on shirts and, and hats mm-hmm. if that's what they chose, but you know, banners and signs were going to be prohibited because of you know it could be seen throughout the stadium and on television. <laughs> and right. so I, I think that kind of cut to the core, really, of of what the impetus was for this on the league's part. They they didn't really like how it looked on television, and uh, you know, obviously people are going to be able to see that on TV. Sponsors are going to be able to see that on TV. And so, you know, I, and I asked, you know, some league executives, you know, who was pushing for this? Was it owners? Was it people at at headquarters? Was it, you know, anyone else? And they said, they said it was a, a, you know, a collection of people, you know, it wasn't just the league. It wasn't just owners, but, you know, I think ultimately, I mean, this is, this is a league that's run by its owners. I mean, like, like any North American sports league. And so, uh, so I think again that that desire to not have it visible on a t- by a TV camera, I think that was what was driving this in large part. Um, again, because it's really obscure. I mean, the whole mm. if you had told me four months ago, hey, what's what's the Iron Front and, and right. what's the Iron Front flag look like? I, I could not have told you. Um, I mean, I recall seeing that flag on on TV and seeing it flown, but I had no idea what. You know what it meant in terms of a symbol, and what its history was in terms of being, you know, affiliated with a, an anti-Nazi paramilitary group in the 1930s. I mean, I I could not have told you that. So, um, yeah, but <laughs> no, I, is. I think it was. I mean, it you is. Know, a... There was some discomfort at league level about how this looked on TV.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is funny to think about that. We're we're debating what is ultimately this. You know, like you know, it, what's funny is you can even go through like history books, and there's not a lot of references to this symbol. You know, right. I, I and and like and I've tried to personally read up on it, and it's and it is kind of a complicated history. I think the more recent history is is more straightforward in that it's where like where you see it and what you see it associated with. But it is an interesting thing that you know we're we're kind of debating this um, nearly hundred year old symbol uh, as to what it means and and whatnot. Um, but did you get did you get much of a sense that you know after the third there was this meeting at in Vegas after the League's Cup the League's Cup and uh. And the and the two groups came together, and I know afterwards, uh, ECS people and and Timbers Army people both said that they were a little frustrated that the league didn't seem ready to have to give them an answer at the end of that meeting, and that they kind of were looking for more time. Now it looks like that was maybe in their favor because they obviously went back and they they effectively sided with the supporters and allowing them to at least get through the rest of the season using this flag. But did you get a sense? Like behind the scenes, that there was a lot of, you know, back and forth between owners about kind of giving in on this issue.
1: Yeah, that was a, a little bit tougher to to unpick. Um, you know, I, you know, it's MLS does a good job of kind of portraying itself as this monolith, but right. you know, just in in, ta- in talking to some sources for the story, you know, I I do I do think this was led by Portland and Seattle um but i you know from what i'm hearing you know some other owners were you know didn't like where this was headed either in terms of you know the ban on the flag i mean i think if i'm not mistaken i think i don't think lesc ever enforced it um and you know then you know yeah, and there was some back and forth i mean you had Some fans ejected in in Atlanta, and you had uh, some fans kicked out in Minnesota. So, you know, this was starting to spread a little bit, and that was one of the, you know, like I alluded to earlier, that was one of the early criticisms was that, hey, this is just a a Pacific Northwest thing. You know, this is going to fade away, and we're not going to have to worry about this. And, you know, I think that thought, you know, definitely proved to be misguided. But I, you know, just in terms of back and forth among owners, um, you know, it, it seemed like some some fans were okay with it or some teams were okay with it and others, others were not. Um, certainly Minnesota kind of became a little bit of a flashpoint later on as well. Um, but I, I think, you know, so much of the way the league markets itself, you know, kind of getting back to this point is showing the crowd shot, showing the flag, mm-hmm. showing the smoke. And, you know, I, I think they suspected that that might be lost and let's, Let's face it, that's one of the things that makes MLS unique in in North America, at least. And so uh, so I think, you know, from what I'm told, there were owners who were on this, you know, who were of similar thinking. But, you know, that that Portland and Seattle were on this issue.
0: And so I I, I think this is probably the hardest thing to to maybe. No, at this point but i'll ask you anyway do you have a sense of of where this is all heading does it feel like it's it's just kicking the can on what is ultimately going to we're going to end up back where we started or does this feel like it is maybe heading towards someplace where we have a more you know a, a policy that is both clear and yet supporters are at least willing to accept
1: um that's a good question um I think certainly it seems like it's headed towards um, allowing the symbol to be displayed. Um, I think there is going to be need to be more clarity. I think that was a, that was a big problem as well. Um, you know, just in talking to some of the the ECS folks, you know, Tom Biro and, and uh, Sean Wheeler, you know, part of their frustration was. It, it didn't seem there didn't seem to be any consistency in enforcement. You know, it, it, um, at the Portland Seattle game in Portland, um, you know they were they were told to take down flags that were seemingly allowable. Um, you know, the the anti-fascist anti-racist always Seattle flag, which from you know every conversation that I had with an MLS executive about this is allowed that was not allowed um at at uh, Dignity Hill Sports Park when when Seattle played the Galaxy and so that was it was just it, it wasn't clear it was vague and that was causing problems as well so you hope going forward that you know there's just going to be more clarity on on what's allowed and what isn't and then we'll, we'll we'll see where that you know where that process leads to um but uh you know, certainly I I do think there were that the league and the supporters are headed to a point where uh, this symbol is allowed and that there's more clarity on what can be shown and what can't.
0: Well, I I really appreciate you, you weighing in on this. And I think that one of the things that I've been amazed by, like, even as someone who covers the league and the Sounders, I am kind of constantly amazed that this is even a conversation, like a thing that we're, that's happening, that the league is like, can you imagine in any other league, in north america the the league office meeting with a group of fans over some sort of policy it is like in some ways it's very progressive but in other ways it speaks to where mls is and and how it's different um but it's also just kind of a a fascinating dynamic i don't know if really neat, that doesn't necessarily mean it's inherently good but it is an it's a fascinating d- dynamic that's been created here and um, and it was it was good. It was good for me to see that there was some, uh, there was a solution found that people could be happy with. But I'm also, it's going to be very curious to see how this is all handled. And and I know that um, it'll be a fascinating story in the off season, I'm sure. I, I wonder if if the league is hoping that they can just kind of quietly pass something and it and it never be spoken of again.
1: No chance. I mean, this this is a league that has made. A conscious effort to embrace supporters culture right and there have been you know some stumbles with that and you know i think there's been you know some some push and pull in terms of you know what bands can do and and what they can't um but you know i think you know the league realized that it was sending you know some conflicting messages in terms of that so uh so yeah i think you know they I think for the for the moment they've adopted to hang on to the thing that that makes it this league unique in North America because like you said I can't imagine any other sport where a league and an executive as high level as Mark Abbott would sit down with with the <laughs> with the fan groups and and hash this out so um, you know I I think MLS catches a lot of stick they deserve some criticism over this issue. Uh, and I, but I give him credit for for sitting down and 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 being willing to engage because like like you said, I, mean, I just I can't think of any other league that would be willing to do that.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm also kind of curious if there's going to be some sort of like if the Iron Front flag ends up being expressly allowed, like if there's going to be some effort to have some sort of like I don't think the league would drive this, but it does seem like it on some level it behooves those of us in the media who can do this to like provide some education as to what does this symbol really represent? Because I think, you know, one of the things that was interesting to me, and I think one of the, the reasons this became such a flashpoint is that this idea that the Iron Front flag has become kind of demonized in right-wing media, and that's somehow become this, that's like the the basis that the league was working on was this perception in certain forms, in certain areas of the media about what this flag represents instead of like, let's have an honest discussion about what this represents. But Yeah,
1: exactly. Um... I mean, I think you know i i think a lot of the articles that i saw you know not just ones that i wrote i mean you know i think certainly i tried to to convey what this symbol meant to the fans right and but also point out that you know this is it's been it's been associated with this with this other group and so uh it's been associated with antifa and so you know that comes certainly with some baggage um yeah uh so you know it's You know, we'll see, you know, what messages be able to is going to be able to kind of cut through the, you know, uh, cut through the noise, if you will, for lack of a better word. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see, we'll we'll see how it gets interpreted and, and what some of the, you know, the uh, results are.
0: Well, uh, Jeffrey, you've been really uh, great with your time. Uh, I would add, if you don't, if you listen to this show, if you read Center at Heart, I absolutely recommend that you are also uh, following Jeffrey on on twitter it's at jeffrey carlisle right it is and i couldn't he's... pick jeff
1: carlisle because that was already taken back okay. in back when i first joined twitter so
0: well we're gonna have to get that fixed no okay. um <laughs> but uh espnfc uh great stuff he's he's based on the west coast we see him out at CenturyLink all the time uh so it was great talking to you and hey, thanks uh, for having me on yep and uh you're listening to the sandra heart podcast